Okay, so here we are in part B. And as you guys know, I was working on a Chris Watts, Chris Coleman podcast, and I'm still working on that. But what happened in the meantime, when I thought that all my Chris Watts stuff was in the history books, Netflix came out with a documentary on Chris Watts. And a lot of people who had never heard of Chris Watts suddenly were in the conversation. And most of us have been talking about it since the day that they disappeared. And so all these people started coming on YouTube and Many of them figured out that if they had a channel that was about something like macrame potholders, that if they started talking about Chris Watt, suddenly their numbers would skyrocket through the roof and traffic would increase tenfold. They would suddenly have revenue and all these people coming to their channel and a whole bunch of things that they never had before. Chris Watts is an addictive story. It's a draw. There's conspiracy theories about was Nicole Kessinger involved in this or not. There's the Nitwit Network that rages on about Shanann. So there's all kinds of stuff people that are new to this subject can sink their teeth into. The problem is that they're sinking their teeth into all the misinformation and they're repeating the misinformation, which means that they're just perpetuating the misinformation just going on and on and on and on and on. So I started to see this and I even saw it in people that are body language experts, so-called body language experts, where all of a sudden they popped up after the Netflix documentary, some PhDs in psychology. And just because you have a PhD in psychology doesn't mean that you know anything about personality disorders. There are many people who train in psychology, become therapists, become um, even go on to their PhDs that really haven't done a lot of work in personality disorders. Even PhDs get it wrong. And I've heard it on YouTube where somebody's a PhD and they talk about personality disorders and I'll get to a spot and I'll be like, that's not right. And you guys know that I hate Dr. Phil. He's very lazy. And somebody that I follow had a clip of his and he said something and I was like, that's not right. And I don't even think it was the Chris Watts case. I think it was something else. But I was like, that's not right. But he was a psychologist for only a short time. And then he was a jury consultant because somebody that worked for him said that they had an inappropriate relationship. And he has denied this, but it was on the Texas Board of Psychological Examiners, whoever it is that that licenses PhDs. And it was on there a couple of years ago. I haven't checked it in a couple of years, but it was there. But he said something like she worked for him and then he dated her or or they were friends, something. His story is not the story that I heard, but of course, it's a story that he wants to put out there. And even in the age of Me Too, he gets away with it. And I'm not sure why, maybe because people just buying his story. But I found out about him through jury consultants when I was practicing law in Texas. And one thing that they said about him was that he was a lazy psychologist for the short time he was a psychologist, and he was a lazy jury consultant. And I've heard that his staff does all his research, all his writing, they figure out what's hot topics, and they bring it on. And then he just does his little dog and pony show where he yells at people. And I know that one of my favorite YouTube channels is True Crime Loser, and he does a great doc. Dr. Phil impression. And it was one of the Chris Watts episodes where he says, what did she say? I can't do it as well as True Crime Loser does it. But he does an excellent Dr. Phil impression. But I have no use for Dr. Phil. But even these other PhDs that are on there. But there is one PhD on there who is a guy that I actually read a lot of his stuff in journals before I just discovered that he had a YouTube channel. His name is Sam Back. 
Nin, V-A-K-N-I-N. And I respect his work a lot. I actually like reading his stuff more than listening to his YouTube channel. But I'm going to put links to all of the channels that I'm mentioning in the YouTube description. So don't worry about writing any of this down. If I recommend somebody, I will have it in the YouTube description box. But he's excellent. And there's a few other ones. But watch for people that came after the Netflix documentary. And there are some body language people. There are some people that just talk about narcissism in general. They're all people that came late, wanted to jump on really fast. So the best way to do that is to kind of cop other people's material. But if other people's material is wrong, then they're just perpetuating the errors. Now, to go back to some of the body language experts, I like Derek Van Shake. He came up with something the other day that I commented on his video about somebody that was really dangerous that I was really glad that he had drawn people's attention to it. The other one that I like is JCS Psychology, and he does a lot of police interrogations. He did an episode on John Copenhaver, and it gave me nightmares. JCS Criminal Psychology is an excellent channel. It doesn't have a lot of videos, but the ones that he has are absolutely excellent. But that video not only gave me nightmares, but I'm going to do a domestic violence episode in season three, and I'm going to talk about this, Kate, because it's very, very disturbing. So he does a lot on body language in his videos and I really, really like him. I wish he did more videos, but the ones that he does are so excellent that I really can't complain. There's a woman who is, she's not a therapist, she's not a psychologist, she's not a mental health professional. She's a former partner of a narcissist and she's usually, usually pretty good and most of her stuff is pretty good. But she said something one day to the effect of that they took psychopathic personality disorder out of the DSM-4 and rolled it into antisocial personality disorder for DSM-5. And none of that is true. None of that is true. Nothing of the sort happened. So one of the things that I want to do in this series that I'm calling the definitive Chris Watts, even though it's going to be more about many, many other things than Chris Watts, is talk about how people get sociopathy and psychopathy mixed up, how people even in the psychological community have struggles with it. I have to look things up sometimes when I'm talking and think, is it this checklist or that checklist? 1941, a guy named Cleckley, I always want to call him Checkley because it's a checklist. He wrote something called The Mask of Sanity. And it's all about antisocial behavior. And just put a pin in that for now because we're going to circle back to that. But in 1952, the first DSM came out and they had something called sociopathic personality disturbance. And it included something called constitutional psychopathy and a psychopathic personality. Now, there were no personality disorders in the first DSM, and I'd like to get my hands on one one of these days, but that's what they had as far as what we're talking about goes. Now, DSM 
two did not come out until 1968, which is a pretty long time. And that's the first time we see antisocial personality disorder. And it tracked very closely to the 1941 checklist, the Cleckley's checklist. I should I should have people say Cleckley's checklist and nitwit network (laughs) 10 times fast and then they'll never speak to me again so then robert hare is considered the leading expert on psychop and he developed the pcl which is the psychopathy checklist and it is now called the pcl r because it's been revised but anyway the psychopathy checklist also tracks very closely to collect (laughs) checklist. And so it's always been kind of confusing and mixed up because of how they've kind of overlapped over the years. And if you study them and you study the difference between sociopaths and psychopaths, you will learn that 20% of CEOs of major corporations in the United States are psychopaths. And they're highly organized and they use a lot of the traits of psychopathy to basically get shit done. Whereas sociopaths are more disorganized, they're messier, they're sloppier. So for me, in my head, I've always made those two distinctions. I've always made those distinctions that a psychopath is more organized. And that's why you see them sitting at the top of corporations because they get stuff done and they don't care who they run over in the process. And they, they're not going to sit there and listen to your sob story because they have no empathy. They don't care. Robert Hare also says they're without conscience. So when you have somebody running a corporation, or somebody in politics running things and they have no conscience, that's a problem. But usually if they're running a corporation and they have oversight, like from a board of directors or something, that board of directors will keep them in check. So, you know, that's, that's, I don't want to say that's okay, but it's less of a problem than if you're a psychopath hiding in the bushes waiting to kill somebody. So you can kind of see where some of this confusion is coming from. Now, there are people that have this debate in the psychological community where they think that all of the personality disorders in cluster B should be under one personality disorder, psychopathic personality disorder with subtypes, histrionic, borderline, narcissist, and antisocial. There are many people who think that that's the way it should be. And the DSM has what's known as working group. And if you kind of follow along the working group, you know that there are other people that think that the cluster B personality disorders should be broken up differently because so many of them share so many criteria. So it would probably be less confusing for people if there was one personality type in cluster B with four subtypes. So when you're training in the field, now when I was in graduate school, I had a great, great professor in my who supervised my second year field work. And he recommended me to a class where all they were doing was studying the DSM because DSM-4 was about to come out or had just come out, one or the other. I still have my original gigantic DSM-4, first edition, very tattered, very torn, that I just absolutely loved. But he recommended me to this class. It was a small class. It was very 
very selective. They only wanted people who were really going to work hard and really dig into the DSM. And then from there, I went to work as a psychiatric clinician. So I do have the training and the background in it. And most of my clients now have people have exes who are personality disordered. And I not only deal with it as a therapist, but I deal with it as a lawyer too. And I've worked on several legal teams where someone's going through a divorce and custody battle against a narcissist or a sociopath. And usually I'm the only person on the team that's both a therapist and a lawyer. And it's good that I have this background. And I'm always surprised to see that some teams that I've worked on have absolutely no clue what a personality disorder is. And others are very in the know and they're calling out that the ex is a personality disordered person before I even get to chime in. So I've had a lot of different experience across the 50 states and I know that different places see it differently depending on the geographical area and how in the know the people that are working on the case really are. Some of them are, some of them aren't. Some of them are just lawyers and they don't want to know any of the psychological stuff and others are very open to what you have to tell them about it. And I even had work with people in Florida where they were telling me that not only was the ex a sociopath, but the ex's lawyer was a sociopath. And when I was listening to the stuff that the ex's lawyer was saying, I was like, oh yeah, he's pretty much a sociopath and a misogynist on top of it. So that was all very, very, very much fun. But it's easy to get this stuff mixed up. You really want to understand it if you're having relationships, if you're dating, if you're dealing with your ex who's a covert or an overt narcissist, you really want to get this stuff straight. And there's so much misinformation out there. So I decided to do this series and I'm calling it the definitive Chris Watts, but it's really about much more than just Chris Watts. And I sat down when I was getting furious about all these new sites and all these new people and all the crazy crap that they're talking about. And I sat down and I wrote for like five days, like five straight days. I wrote this 40 page thing and I plugged in a bunch of research that I had in my files. And of course, I'm not going to sit there on this podcast series and read it to you because it's a mess. It was just for me to get everything out of my head and to kind of look up the things that I wanted to make sure that I had right and clear up anything that I might have had wrong. So I'm going to be doing that, the definitive Chris Watts. I'm going to be doing that early early in in season three. And I don't know how I'm going to break it out. I don't know if I'm going to break it out from week to week or or what, but I want to get this information out as soon as I can to kind of combat the nitwit network. One of the things that I've never done is I've never talked negatively about Shanann for a bunch of reasons. One reason is that there are haters out there who say things like she has Munchausen syndrome and she's a narcissist and all kinds of thing. And the day before he was sentenced, Chris Watts' mother, Cindy, talked to him in the jail and she said to him, we know how she was. This is about somebody who was murdered, okay, murdered. And the amount of hate that Cindy Watts has thrown Shanann's way is absolutely disgusting, absolutely disgusting. And so many people that don't like Shanann who somehow think that Chris Watts is not that guilty or whatever, 
have taken up the gauntlet that Cindy Watts has thrown down where Shanann is concerned, and I think is disgusting. I did a podcast after the Frank Rusak. Frank Rusak is Shanann's father. After his press conference, basically asking people to leave them alone. These poor people have lost their daughter, their granddaughters, and their soon-to-be-born grandson. Leave them the hell alone. What is wrong with you people? Like, even if you hated Shanann, you thought she did everything wrong, you have no right to beat up on her parents. They've suffered a tremendous loss. Stop being a terrible person. Leave them alone. So after I did that podcast, Frank Rusak said thank you on on YouTube, and I was very grateful for it. So I've been very reluctant to say anything negative about Shanann, but Shanann did do some things wrong. And as a type A personality married to a lump, and this is something that I've talked about in the past that precedes Chris Watts by a lot, because I've talked about the lump and, and the type a personality for many years. And there are things that she definitely missed. I mean, she never did anything to the point that would rise to the level of, well, we know how she was. Like, basically, she deserved to be murdered. But there were things that she didn't pick up on that she should have picked up on or that if she was too busy to pick up on them, I want to clue my readers into what those things are so that people can avoid that themselves. So I will be talking about the dysfunctional marriage of Chris and Shanann Watts, what went wrong and what Shanann did wrong. And hopefully nobody takes that up as, well, she deserved to die then. But I will be talking about that. And I don't think that you can really give a full picture without talking about that. So a time has come to talk about that. And I'll do a lot of disclaimers. I'll talk a lot about how that doesn't mean she deserved to die. And it doesn't mean that she was a malignant narcissist. And it doesn't mean that she has Munchausen syndrome, blah, blah, blah. So you might hear me do a lot of disclaimers, but I'm still going to throw it into the mix. Okay, so one of the things that happened is that when I came home from the hospital after my fractures, and they didn't want to let me go home. They wanted to keep me for at least a week. And after four days, I'm just like, I got to get out of here. And I didn't want to leave against medical advice because I knew my rheumatologist would hit the roof. So I had to make a whole bunch of promises to them. And one thing that I really didn't have to promise because I couldn't do it was go up and down the stairs. The pelvic fracture has been a horror show trying to recover from. And so when I came home, the only thing that I was capable of doing was basically sitting down and watching YouTube videos because my television was upstairs and I wasn't even able to get up the stairs at all. And so the only thing I was able to do was watch YouTube videos because they really wanted me to relax, to not stress myself out. And they put such a fear of me getting sick when I was in the hospital. I mean, they really did that. I realized that I just have to do self-care. I just have to do self-care. As hard as it was for me, I knew that I was making myself sicker and sicker by trying to act like I wasn't sick and that I was going to continue to do do things like fall downstairs if I didn't stop and just take care of myself. And I want to thank all the people that helped me out during that time, moderators of the Facebook group and the people that were in my boot camp at the time. Everybody understood that I just needed a time out. So I've talked about following some Viners over to YouTube and the two that I followed over to YouTube were Daz Black and Tom Harlock. And Tom Harlock is the one who introduced me to the wonderful Stoffers. So both of them did these very 
short skits on Vine, and they both do commentary on YouTube. And there's another guy called Nick DiRamio. I hope I'm saying his name right, since I was married to an Italian whose first two letters of his name was D-I. I think it's D-I-R-A-M-I-O. And I'll put a link to, to these channels when I finish up. So I was watching the three of them. And Nick didn't have a Vine channel, to my knowledge. And they introduced me to people that I really didn't want to know that they existed in the world, unfortunately. And I was interested in this as people that really don't know much about psychological terms and things like that. Because Daz has this, this series called Daz Watches. And he watches videos and he comments on them. And he's got this great laugh and he's really funny. All three guys use the B word, which really drives me crazy and I wish they'd stop. But other than that, these three are just incredibly funny. Very, very different personalities, but they all track along the same wavelength, which is one that I truly appreciate. And they're all very, very funny. So so Daz was watching this Shane Dawson documentary on Jake Paul. Was he a sociopath? Now, I didn't know who Shane Dawson was and I didn't know who Jake Paul was. And to this day, I wish that I didn't know who either one of them, either one of them were. Shane had done this long documentary on is Jake Paul a sociopath? And I was like, hmm, I wonder if they know what they're talking about. And Shane had this therapist on who was young. She was out of her element. She was in over her head. She really didn't know other than off a Google search what she was talking about. And I found Jake Paul very disturbing. And then I was looking at Shane Dawson's side to try to get a flavor for who he was. And I found him disturbing. And I was like, who is this guy? And why does he have so many followers and many of them are very young and many of Jake Paul's followers are very young and I was like these are the people that are influencing like today's youth like okay we're all in trouble and but people didn't people had a lot of trouble with Jake Paul but they didn't seem to be having problems with Shane Dawson and then one day I go on the internet and I see this thing the day that Shane Dawson's career came to an end and I was like oh what is this and the the name of the channel that had this whole thing was is D'Angelo Wallace and D'Angelo Wallace is great. He's young. He does really good research. He's he's a good writer. He really has his shit together. He really knows what he's talking about. He's very serious and he covers a lot of stuff in his videos. Now his video on Shane Dawson is two hours long, but it's absolutely worth every minute of it. There's absolutely no filler, but it chronicles all these things that Shane Dawson's done over the years, which include are you ready for this? Anti-Semitism, racism, misogyny, pedophilia and bestiality okay these are all the things that d'angelo wallace put clip after clip after clip after clip of shane dawson together in this documentary and it's horrifying and it includes him making sexual comment about an 11 year old willow smith and jada pinkett smith and jaden smith both went up one side of him and down the other and he did an apology video and that was the thing about his channel that bothered me the most before all this happened was the amount of apology videos. I'm like, why do you have to keep apologizing? And if there's one thing that I disagree with D'Angelo Wallace on is he says you can't be on the internet for over 10 years and not have something to apologize for. And I've been on the internet a lot longer than that. And I don't feel like I have anything to apologize for. So and some of the stuff that he's apologized for, like he did blackface and he's like, I didn't know it was racist. Like what? Blackface was before my time and I know that it was racist. But in in this day and age, before I put color on my skin, I would think 
is this racist? Like, is somebody going to have a problem with this? The fact that there's no independent inquiry there, the fact that you're not stopping and thinking is a problem. And it's a problem for these people that have all these young followers. Like, oh, you just do something and you claim ignorance and then you apologize and go on. And it took all of these things back to back to back to back for people to realize that Shane Dawson has been a problem a very long time. Why did it take that long? Why didn't the Willow Smith thing shut it down? So there's another site called Deaf Noodles. And Deaf Noodles is great. It's D-E-F-N-O-O-D-L-E-S. And the guy that does the channel is a stand-up comedian. He's worked all the big clubs in LA and New York. And he is very smart, very funny. The writing is is very good. It's so fast-paced that you have to listen to the episode a few times to get all of the throwaway lines. I mean, he just goes, and when I first discovered Deaf Noodles, it reminded me of The Soup with Joel McHale, which I love Joel McHale, but I was upset that The Soup introduced me to all these people that exist in the world on reality shows and talk shows and places like that that I just didn't want to know existed. But thankfully, The Soup made enough fun of them that I was able to tolerate it and to tune in week after week, despite the fact that it was just covering these vacuous personalities. And when I discovered Deaf Noodles, I felt the same way because he covers YouTubers and TikTokers who are like the likes of some of them are just completely horrible. And a few weeks after I started watching his channel, I clicked on his About tab and it said, he said that he aspired to be a cross between The Soup and The Colbert Report. And I think he does an excellent job of, of that. And he's very smart, very funny, very clean. You really got to get him to get him. And he He's, he has a sophisticated level of humor that I think that a lot of people don't get. But he trains with the Upright Citizens Brigade, which is an improv group. They had a show or still have a show. I don't remember if they're on or not on Comedy Central. And I, I've seen them live here in New York. And so he has a training and he knows what he's talking about. So he's, he's a great channel along with the other three to basically talk about some of these YouTubers and TikTokers who are clearly out of their minds. But the thing that bothers me is that many of them have danced, which the word comes from an Eminem song, which means basically a crazy obsessed fan. And many of these channels have young Dan's, very young, very impressionable. And if one channel gets into some sort of debate or fight or feud or whatever you want to call it, and some of them are completely made up, they basically get to together and decide they're going to have a fight on social media and get a bunch of views. And that's what they do. But some of them are real. And one will be calling out and then that person stands will go on the other site and send all these hateful messages. You know, all the things that I was talking about with the cyber bullies, only this is the young version of the cyber bullying. And it's like pretty disgusting. And when some of these people will be having this feud, all of a sudden they'll go, um, if you if you're a fan of mine, you know, don't go on the other person's channel and, and give them a bunch of hate because this isn't about sending hate and blah blah blah. If you're a parent and you're trying to make sure that your child is safe on the internet, make sure that they're not being a stand. They're not being a stand and they're not engaging in some of this behavior. And look at some of the sites that they're watching. There's 
So many people who were defending Micah Stauffer. Family channels are just out of control. There's a family channel called the Ace Family, and they're like the worst role models. And the guy on there is just horrible. And he is just, like, to me, he's just a terrible human being. He's a narcissist. He's got all kinds of problems. And they've got millions of followers. They've become millionaires with their family channel site. And they're terrible, terrible role models for little kids. And when my daughter was a teenager, I used to sit down and watch these crazy reality shows with her, like Keeping Up with the Kardashians, which made me want to drive nails through my head. But I wanted to know what she was watching and I wanted to discuss it with her and I wanted to see, to kind of check her temperature and see what she thought about different things. And there wasn't any of this stand behavior back then, but if there was, I would definitely be checking it out with her. Do you talk to other people that are on the site and do you go on this site of these people? that they're dealing with, blah, blah, blah. So I recommend to parents that they pay attention not only to people trying to prey on your child, but your child also being a a hateful stand. So there's this 19-year-old TikToker named Zoe Laverne. And the first time that I heard about her was on Deaf Noodles channel. And she was having a meltdown because this other TikToker, Charlie D'Amelio, had exceeded her in followers. Now, they both had millions of followers on TikTok. But Zoe was having a meltdown, a meltdown, a complete temper tantrum about how Charlie D'Amelio was passing her. And I thought, my God, like there's so many problems in the world. And this girl is having a meltdown because she has a million followers and the other person has a million and one. I mean, what the hell is that? I mean, she's like crying on this video. And I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me. Like what an entitled, entitled, spoiled brat. And I would not want this person to be my son or daughter's role model. No. And most of her followers are young. But then it comes out that somebody was floating the rumor that she had a relationship with a 13-year-old fan. And she goes on YouTube or TikTok or wherever she did it, and she denies the whole thing. She says the person in question, Connor, is a 13-year-old fan of hers and they're best friends. And I don't know any 19-year-old girl that has a best friend who's a 13-year-old boy. That's ridiculous because girls mature faster than boys. So she's probably got the maturity, although I don't know after the tantrum. I don't know know where her maturity level is, but you figure like she's at least 19 and at 13, he's probably like 11. So there's quite an age difference. So after she goes on and says that nothing happened, then there was video that surfaced that they were kissing and her mother, who is a train wreck unto herself, goes on to TikTok or YouTube to defend her and says, come on, guys, what's wrong with you? It was just a kiss between best friends. Are you kidding me? A 19 year old kissing a 13 year old is called a crime. It's not called a kiss between two best friends. It's called a crime. And you can hear Zoe's father in the background going, shut the camera off. And her mother goes, oh, she just wants to say hi to her fans. Say hi to your fans, Zoe. And Zoe goes, hi guys. Like she's the victim here. And then she does a video where she talks about how toxic social media is and how none of this is anybody's business but hers and Connor. And I'm like, this girl is completely out to lunch. The police might have a different opinion about this and I wish they would because if this was a 19 year old boy doing this to a 13 year old girl he would be in jail before he could get the word what out of his mouth and Zoe goes on and says 
we were friends and we caught feelings for each other. That's what happens. Friends catch feelings for each other. No, Zoe. First of all, it's inappropriate to have a friendship between a 19-year-old and a 13-year-old. And it's completely inappropriate for you to catch feelings for a 13-year-old and to express those feelings in a kiss. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely unacceptable. And it also, it's called a crime. Then she says, we each consented to it. A 13-year-old cannot give consent, okay? They're not old enough to give consent. In the state where they live, the age of consent is 16. He's still three years away from that. I was horrified. Are you kidding me? Has nobody told this girl to smarten up and shut up? Like, if I was her parents, I'd be like, uh, we don't want to be throwing the evidence like all over YouTube. Like you might want to shut up and her channel's still up and she still has all these followers and most of them are under the age of 18. And this sends out the absolute wrong impression. If a 19 year old goes after one of the kids that follow her, they're going to be confused as to whether this is okay or not. Zoe Laverne absolutely should be taken off the platforms. And I'm not usually one who calls for people's channels to be canceled, although I think that Maya Stauffer's channel absolutely should have been canceled and that Zoe Laverne's channel should be canceled. She's not taking responsibility for a crime she committed and she's going around rationalizing and justifying it. It's absolutely wrong. And some of her stands have gone after the people that have called her out about it. It's absolutely ludicrous. Absolutely ludicrous. Anyway, what else? So one of the requests that I had was a couple of times in boot camps, I've talked about resistance. And resistance is basically when you become somewhat creative and you start pulling away from your recovery, your sponsor your therapist, the people that support you. And either you know better than everybody else or you just don't care anymore. And everybody goes through this at certain points. And I remember going through it a couple of years on. And there was one time that I decided that I was too mentally screwed up for just going to 12-step meetings and therapy and that I was just too far gone and nothing could really help me. And I was resigning from 12-step programs and I had this big speech all prepared and I waltzed in and I gave my speech to my sponsor and my sponsor said, your best thinking got you here, so shut up and sit down. So there was that. And then there was other times where I thought I was too well. I'm all better now. I can leave. And that happened at about five years. And as soon as I did that, my life started falling apart like crazy because I really didn't know what the hell it was I was talking about. And I'm really surprised that my sponsors and my therapist didn't just hang me by my ankles out a 10-story window until I came to my senses because I would just get into these crazy, crazy frame of mind like, I don't need you people anymore. I'm on my way or I'm way too sick and none of you can fix me and so I'm on my way. It was like two ends of the dream where I couldn't figure out if I was too well for recovery or I was too sick for recovery. But anyway, that's resistance and some people have asked me to talk a little bit about that so I have something like that coming in season three. And I've left out a bunch of stuff that I had wanted to talk about but I really don't want to get this into three preview episodes. I, I think that it would just get boring and not very worthwhile. So that's what I'm going to be talking about season three. If you want other stuff, you got to let me know what that is. So I hope you guys subscribe to the YouTube channel. I hope you leave comments and I hope you let me know what's what 
and who's who and what you want to hear. But I hope that people go on my YouTube channel and leave comments and ask questions and tell me what you want to see. And that if you're a parent, you check out if there's any stand behavior going on in your household. So on Z, we will definitely be talking about substantive stuff, sex addiction, porn addiction, internet addiction. And then that will wrap up season two. And season three should start by December 1st. And I'll see you on the other side. Thank you so much for your support. I appreciate you guys. Thank you so very much. Talk to you soon.